G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Wonderful to welcome back to 2020, Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, welcome back. G'day, Neil. Good to be with you once again. And again, let me say congratulations and praise to God for a well-deserved Visionathon result. That's fantastic news to hear. And uh, look, to hear that congratulations coming from you too, uh, Martin, uh, just wonderful. And and I know that we all share a burden here for uh, what we are looking at when we discuss the way Australian values are being shaped and the way that mm. Christian radio has a very significant purpose in that in informing Christian voters. And that's what we, we always like to do when we get together on a Monday and get an update from you. But let me, we're going to, and I want to talk about the Victorian election with you. But before we do that, there was a very, very significant issue that came to Ahead over the weekend, uh, religious freedom back in the news on the weekend, an article in the Weekend Australian reporting that Christians are being run out of business, hounded by boycotts and bullied by activists for adhering to their faith and just one year after the same-sex marriage change. Uh, what are your thoughts on a couple of cases that have been reported over the weekend? Well, firstly, um, I'm glad the cases were reported because one of the concerns that we've had for some time is that uh, many of the people involved in these matters, and there are many of them, actually, people are usually not aware of that, but many of the people involved are not prepared to go public out of fear, which I understand. Um, but also it can be hard to get journalists and so forth on board because there's a believability issue. Many people don't believe that the issues are as serious as they are. Um, in the press and so forth. So I'm really pleased to have this breakthrough where we've had two extremely serious cases publicised on the front page of The Weekend Australian. And for those who missed them, uh, they concern two matters. One is uh, the case of a magazine called White Magazine, a wedding magazine, owned by a Christian couple, uh, Luke and Carla. And Luke and Carla um, came under scrutiny from activists who merely noticed that White Magazine was yet to feature a same-sex wedding uh, since uh, January of this year when same-sex marriage was passed into law. And off the back of the suspicion that that aroused, an activist started contacting them and saying, um, you know, why aren't you featuring same-sex weddings? And they didn't respond. And they said they didn't reply to those queries because they just weren't sure what their position was at that stage. They hadn't yet thought it through, and so they weren't going to do it just yet. Uh, and they needed to think it through, and they were also a little concerned that if they gave premature responses, they, they would be misrepresenting you know, their final position. And so they didn't, didn't respond to those, but this activist was not satisfied, uh, and so she started to make some uh, uh, rummagings around on social media, and it was not long before people started sending them abuse and writing them negative reviews and saying, why aren't you transparent about what you do? And they got some uh, very serious threats that their house would be burnt down and all this kind of thing. It got extremely ugly very quickly, bearing in mind that at this stage they've still said nothing. Um, but then the next thing they knew was a couple of major newspapers uh, in New South Wales started to report on 
uh, this uh, this uh, act of non-disclosure as a negative thing. Uh, and it wasn't long before they had advertisers for the magazine pulling out uh, and either boycotting them or pulling out out of fear that they would suffer some negative ramification. And essentially what has happened is because of their silence, Luke and Carla have been driven out of business. They've had to shut the magazine down. They lost their advertisers. They realised that the space was not welcoming to them anymore. As they said, their beliefs clashed with law and culture, uh, and they didn't quite know what to do. They've exited the industry. It's a really sad story. That magazine's been around for uh, a decade and a half. It's had an international distribution. It was successful. A lot of people have been saying, oh, they're probably going broke anyway. That's not true. It was a successful magazine. Well, Martin, that was the White Magazine, and they've announced that they're going out of business, and really it is because of this intimidation factor. And as The Australian has reported, it's not just White Magazine, but there's also another case of a Christian wedding photographer, Jason Tay. What's his story? Well, yes, I mean, this is the second case that was reported, which I think is even more concerning, believe it or not. Jason Tay is a, a photographer from Perth, and he had a, uh, a lesbian couple come to him and ask for him to photograph their family, to do family photos. Now, Jason was actually willing to do that. He found out that the family arrangement there, but he actually reflected on the situation and he thought to himself, if I was them, I would want to know. I would want to know that my photographer had a conflict of belief. Uh, and so he contacted them and wrote them quite a lovely note just saying, look, I wanted to let you know in the interest of full disclosure. Uh, that I do have a conflict of belief on this project. It does, um, there is an impact that that has on what I do as a photographer because I'm an artist and I go all in on my client's story. Um, and I'm letting you know this in case you want to choose someone else. But if you don't, then I don't have a problem taking the picture. I don't think it's wrong for me to take the photographs uh, of your family. Uh, and it was, it was, I couldn't have written it better. It was very well wordsmithed, uh, very nicely done. And Jason, it wasn't just wordsmithing. Jason was being serious. He was being genuine. Uh, and he was letting them know out of concern that they might want to choose someone else. Um, and they turned around and sued him. And they sued him, took him to the Equal Opportunity Commission, where they had a conciliation conference. The commissioner um, said that it was an evident case of discrimination uh, and, in fact, offered to fund the legal expenses of the lesbian couple should they take this further. They said to Jason that he would have to publish an apology for a period of months on his website and all his social media, explaining that he had discriminated. And, of course, he said he couldn't apologise for stating his beliefs in good conscience. Uh, and so here's, that case is ongoing. It has actually gone to the tribunal. So we have two cases. In one case, they said and did nothing and were hounded out of business. In the second case, uh, he merely stated his beliefs. That's all he did. He said what he believed, and he is at, an, he is at a state administrative tribunal. Now, That's right. I, I don't even know where to begin with those facts. Uh, it's just dreadful. Just hearing the facts actually does uh, churn you up a little inside, and uh, many of our listeners will know someone who does wedding photography, and uh, when they are a Christian, they hold to a Christian ethos, uh, they're likely to get into trouble if they are even requested uh, to undertake a, a photography uh, project for a same-sex wedding. So it is disturbing. But look, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, you helped establish the Human Rights Law Alliance. As I understand it, Martin Niles, there's something like 50 cases that you've been dealing with over these recent years. 
Yes, absolutely. And this is the this is uh, the the message that I have that I keep trying to tell people, which I feel is falling a little on deaf ears, um, which is that this is literally the tip of the iceberg. Um, the cases are happening all over the place. We're contacted by people every week who are in challenging circumstances with the law simply because of their faith. Now, the cases are getting worse, and they're getting worse fairly quickly. I mean, when you look at a case where someone's been silent and a case where someone's merely stated their beliefs, you're crikey, that's quite serious. Uh, now, that shows the trajectory we're on. It started out with people who had maybe been a bit unwise in what they'd said, uh, and then it moved on to people who were actively challenged and they had to res- were forced to respond, and then they got into legal trouble for being forced to say something. And now we're into this category of cases where people who effectively do very little uh, are finding themselves, or do nothing at all, are finding themselves in trouble. So there has been a downward trajectory in the kind of cases that we're receiving, but certainly the number of cases has been steady. Uh, and I'm just saying to people, the need for religious freedom protections is not theoretical. We have an absolute crisis of freedom in this country, which is alarming, uh, and it is the Christians who are suffering first. And I wonder sometimes whether little is done, because people consider it a fringe Christian issue, and it's not going to affect them. But once this Orwellian impulse begins in any community, you have to start to ask questions, who are they coming for next? Once the totalitarian ideas of political thought control start to get entrenched, and unfortunately, the tribunals and legal processes around the country are increasingly being used for that very purpose, and Christians are low-hanging fruit. They're the first victims. Uh, Martin, we're in a crisis, and to reinforce that uh, for listeners today, and uh, so many listeners who are regular listeners to this segment on a Monday, uh, will recognise we talk about these things regularly, but uh, to use that word crisis, uh, I don't think you're exaggerating there, and we are still in this waiting period, aren't we, while the government gets together to show its hand on where it will stand on this issue of religious freedom. And uh, and as I've had conversations in earlier times, uh, perhaps the waiting period is good because uh, the longer it takes, perhaps the better the result may be. Uh, on the other hand, in the lead-up to the government making its announcement, we've got a continued flow of these types of cases uh, which are reinforcing the uh, what you'd even call persecution against Christians. Uh, what When the government does make its announcement about its position on this what are your hopes for what might come out of that and uh, you know so so far as what might be negative what might be positive what are your what are you hopeful for martin isles well i'm i'm oh i'm i'm, I'm skeptical unfortunately <laughs> uh, neil but uh, i i would hope that a good response from the government would include entrenched protections for religious schools and religious organizations to continue to be able to have an ethos and, 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 and abide by that ethos. I would hope there was something on free speech to say you can't get in trouble for saying these beliefs. I would hope there was something on discrimination, and particularly discrimination in relation to your beliefs about marriage, gender, sexuality, and family. Not just discrimination on religion, that won't cut it legal. You have to go more specific. But I would hope that there's something there for protection of conscience, so that people can't be compelled against their conscience uh, by the state or by anybody else to say and do things that conflict with their deepest beliefs. Uh, I would like protection for charities also to continue so that to have a traditional belief about marriage and these things won't disqualify, uh, their per- won't disqualify their charitable purposes. So that's a collection of things which I think should be included. Also, parents' rights is the other one, so that they 
can uh, withdraw their kids from school classes that conflict with their moral and religious beliefs. Now, a couple of those things will definitely be in the government's response. I think a couple of them, it looks at this stage, definitely won't be, um, unless we can uh, up the lobbying pressure between now and release date, and there's a couple that are up for grabs. So my concern is that the response will be about a 4 out of 10, a 5 out of 10, and we'll have to do some more work. Uh, and we may even have to get a little bit, uh, put quite a bit of pressure on the government once the response is out to say, look, uh, this is all well and good, but it doesn't address the crisis. So I'd ask people to stay tuned about that. Don't be easily led by the government's narrative on it, but do your homework, listen to groups like us on the details, and there will be campaign opportunities coming off the back of that. This, this debate and this battle is not over. There's a fair bit of work to be done. It's not going to be resolved this year, is my view. So an educated assessment of what is likely to come from the government, you're suspecting uh, will probably rate a 4 out of 10, and there's an awful lot of work to do once the government actually makes its position known. Uh, Let's uh, let's just focus in just for a few moments, and we're running out of time, but uh, the Save Our Schools campaign, uh, because schools are really very much on the front line of, of what is an attack here over issues of freedom. Uh, What is the Save Our Schools campaign? How can people listening to our conversation today uh, help to supercharge that by by endorsing it? Sure, I'll just, I'll mention it quickly, Neil. Um, uh, This is one part of the religious freedom debate, which the government is considering independently, separately right now, uh, which is whether or not religious schools should have some of their freedom to operate according to their religious ethos and teach their religious and moral values and biblical values, whether they should retain all of those freedoms or not. Uh, There's a proposal put forward uh, that some of those freedoms should be taken away. This is very, very, very serious. Uh, If we don't get some serious muscle and action on this quickly, uh, it is my view that the government will diminish the freedom of schools uh, to operate according to their ethos. To go into detail gets very technical, but people will have heard that uh, this is just the government closing a loophole to make sure that schools can't expel kids just because they're same-sex attracted. That's balderdash. <laughs> it's not true. Yep. Uh, because um, schools are not doing that. That simply isn't happening. The section in question actually it contains a raft of other protections which are actually extremely important and must be preserved. So if people go to saveourschools.org.au and they are a parent, a grandparent, or a student in a religious school, they can sign the open letter to Scott Morrison, which I'd hope to give to him personally in a couple of weeks' time. We want to have 50,000 parents, grandparents, and students on that uh, in order to say, don't change the law. And I think anything short of that kind of display of parental concern in this issue will mean that the law will change, and that will be a seriously negative development. So I would encourage people to get involved in that. Okay, numbers will be important and I'll point people to the Australian Christian Lobby website where you'll find a link there for the Save Our Schools campaign. The Greens are in the mix here and every time there's something bad happening it seems to be the Greens are meddling and they're the ones who are really pushing to remove the right of Christian schools to ensure that staff upholds the school's values and of course if you take that away you do away with the ethos of what Christian schools stand for. The Victorian election's coming up on Saturday, Martin, and uh, the Greens are in the mix there too. In fact, uh, one report says the Greens are expecting a ministry in a Labour minority government if they can secure a balance of power. This is how serious things are in Victoria. The the Victorian election's coming up. It's on this Saturday. Uh, What are your thoughts for how things are shaping there? 
Well, this is um, this is a challenge indeed, Neil. I think you've just nailed it, uh, which is that it may well be that Labor are able to cobble together green support to make a minority government. Um, a lot of commentators are saying, although the polls are indicating a, a Labor victory, it probably will be down to the wire because the disengagement amongst voters is so strong. I mean, a poll was taken a little earlier in the campaign which showed that 27% of Victorians didn't even know an election had been called. So under those conditions, any poll results are going to be totally unreliable. Um, and there is a, a sense on the ground and a sense in the political world that Daniel Andrews is in a bit more trouble than the polls indicate, particularly with the terrorist incident, particularly with concerns about security and safety and crime and so forth. So, you know, we trust that that's true because I make no secret of the fact that even though we usually engage in a nonpartisan way, in Victoria, we've just got to come out and call it for what it is, which is that the Andrews government is responsible for so much destructive and anti-Christian ideology uh, and anti-Christian, direct anti-Christian attacks uh, that it's just time they went. They're responsible for some terrible things. They want to make safe schools compulsory, for example, after the next election in Victorian state schools. ACL has been running a field campaign, door knocking, phone canvassing the teams out in the field for weeks to inform voters in marginal seats of that program. The electorate don't know about it, and the electorate are very, very upset. I've been at the doors myself telling people about it. They're very upset to hear it. Um, but that is this gender-bending, ideological bent that they've got. Um, and, you know, they just did a report in The Australian Today which showed that this ideology is just getting infecting everything. Um, there's been a growth in something like uh, 37,000 jobs in the public service, uh, but less than 100 in the police force. Uh, and uh, and then uh, the fact that um, one in three Victorians feels unsafe at night and all this kind of thing, they go through some pretty shocking stats on crime. But then they show that the uh, Commissioner's annual report doesn't include anything about the crime gangs. It doesn't include anything about terrorism. It doesn't include anything about any of the key issues that people are concerned about, but includes gender quotas, it includes LGBTI programs, it includes all of this stuff. Uh, so this ideology is just infecting the way the Andrews government is operating. They have an equality minister, uh, they have an equality department that enforces targets and enforces programs and enforces education across all the government uh, sectors, um, and they're all through the schools. They're not just safe schools, but there's things like Project Rocket, Minus 18, and these other programs which are highly sexualized, which are radically gender-bending, and getting into schools at an earlier and earlier age for the students and confusing them. It's it's a terrible situation, Victoria. You know, for such a beautiful state and such a beautiful city as Melbourne, uh, it grieves me. And uh, if it is close, then um, that's a good thing. But the concern we have is that we get a minority government situation. There's still opportunities to campaign down there. There's still opportunities to volunteer, so people are still welcome to do that. Uh, and we'll put our best foot forward. And if we don't win this time, it may well be that we make a big enough dent in the campaign to get a head start next time. Well, I'm concerned when you say that a quarter of Victorians didn't even know an election had been called. But, I mean, that is, uh, that's uh, bewildering, isn't it? But uh, we have run out of time. Uh, let me encourage listeners. And uh, when we talk about Victoria and the way that the election campaign through this week and the election on Saturday is so, so important as a Christian voter, uh, vote according to your Christian values and the policies that the parties uh, stand for. And uh, be mindful that the Australian Christian lobby that doesn't ordinarily take sides... Uh, in this case, it cannot do anything other than say we are against 
the re-election of the Labor Party. And uh, my encouragement to uh, every listener to go online, the Australian Christian Lobby, uh, acl.org.au, you can get informed about some of the issues that are confronting Victorians at the polls this weekend. Uh, Always just a pleasure and a a very important conversation to have with you each week, Martin Isles. Uh, Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, acl.org.au. Martin, thanks so much for updating us again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Always a pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.